Welcome to the All Outdoors Photography Podcast. This podcast is about all things outdoor photography, including landscapes, wildlife, macro, and more. The show features two talented photographers, Henry Doyle and Ryan Taylor, who bring their different experiences in photography to the podcast. The show is released weekly every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, so I hope you sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. In today's episode, Henry and Ryan stop and focus on smaller scenes out in nature. They go over how their perspectives change when you see and view the natural world, what angles to take the photos at, and any specialized gear you may want to use to capture intimate scenes of the outdoors. They hope this episode opens up your eyes and create a vision to what your photographs can become. podcasts uh and today we're going to a landscape photography topic yes we're going to be talking about intimate landscapes which um it's something that both of us have done before and uh yeah they're a lot of fun to capture mm-hmm. yeah i feel like when you start out in photography like some of the stuff you do could maybe be classified as intimate landscapes and then i think people tend to kind of find it again uh, as they progress in their work yeah, a lot of people do. I know, I think a couple of our guests we've had on the show, they they say they favor like the wide angle, big grand landscapes, which is totally cool. It's a preference. But uh, yeah, I've noticed that too, is like, the, especially with me, just how it's kind of like a bell curve of just how you want to do the big stuff. And then you kind of go back to the, you know, the smaller scenes, I guess, in general too. Mm-hmm. For sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And b- before we get more into this discussion here, uh, we do... Um, we want to just promote our social media a little bit, uh, you know, follow our Instagram, uh, YouTube, all the different platforms. Uh, we do clips now and we, uh, of course, release the full episodes. Um, and we also have a Patreon. So uh, with many different tiers, many different benefits, and uh, it's, a, it's a great service there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. Is there any updates or announcements you have? Um, I've been pretty busy just taking a lot of photos. Um, I finally like figured out my uh, R5 autofocus stuff. Like I was having a little bit of trouble, but I figured out the right settings. So now I'm like really truly seeing like the, the true power of the autofocus. It's, it's been great. Uh, like I, I was shooting a heron last night and it found the eye, even though the heron was backlit. It, it was just super cool. Um, awesome. So yeah, I've been enjoying that. Um, I've been doing a lot of editing. Uh, I've got a video coming out soon, I think. Uh, another vlog video. I, I released one last week as well. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. I just wanted to be spring because I was just starting to really get into ducks and then all the ponds froze. So yeah. I'm just kind of bored at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that too. It's easier to kind of, in a way, to light like ducks and waterfowl because they all clump together, you know, the, in these like smaller areas. But I, I, I do agree. It's like once everything froze over, it's like, man, it's got a lot more tough at the same time too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It sucks. Cause you can like, if you go there in the morning, I've gone a couple times to my spots just in case there were like pockets of unfrozen uh, ice. Uh, I'd go and then I'd see the ducks I wanted fly over, like not photography range, but like fly over pretty far ahead. Um, and you know, they're, they're just gone as soon as they see the ice. So right, right. very unfortunate. Yeah. But I've been having some fun with some sparrows and stuff. So it's been good. Yeah. It's like, not all of it's just like water birds. There's definitely like mm-hmm. the wintertime sparrows in particular. Yep. Yeah. Just other passerine birds, mm-hmm. which is always great. Yeah. Um, last weekend I just laid in my yard and played with some light on sparrows. I got some like really great images, like probably my favorite sparrow images. So 
That was pretty awesome. fun. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. You said in your backyard. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yep. Yeah. I need, I need we have, a, more we have a feeder and uh, it tracks quite a bit in the winter at least. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Junkos maybe too. Oh yeah. Yeah. I have trouble yeah. getting good Junko images though. Yeah. They're, they're a lot smaller. It seems like than most. Mm-hmm. I don't know, and skittish opinion. too. Yeah. A little more bouncing skittish. They're almost like kinglet level of like frenetic energy. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Just almost though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what about you? Um, kind of the same. I mean, I'm a little bummed out when everything freezes over just because the same reasons basically. Um, but I will say in January, I got about, I think 52 unique species, which is for birds, which is awesome. Um, I think the year before I got like 34 in January. So I'm definitely, I feel like I'm more committed this year to like making it something of a big year and like chasing birds and really just trying to get that life list, you know, bolstered up, um, which I feel like our trip in May is definitely going to help. I'm definitely going to help. I'm going to get a lot more of, there's just so many of the warblers I still don't have a good view of or even photo at all. Um, mm-hmm. So that's definitely going to make the you know the life list just grow exponentially, I hope. Yep. Um, but yeah, doing lots of pretty much bird photography exclusively. Um, I did some like wintertime landscapes, um, you know, about a week or so ago, um, incorporating some panoramas, you know, right at, you know, last light of the day. Um, I've yet to edit those, but I think that could be something cool potentially. Um, Panoramas are always a toss-up if you don't level them right. And uh, I've had a few mistakes in the past, so <laughs> we'll see how those go with processing them because it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a while to really perfect them. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, besides that, I'm, I'm the same way. I'm, I'm ready for spring. And, uh, I think next couple of weeks we're both going to record a solo episode about spring, just in general as photographers outdoors, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, it's going to be really, you know, we're really eager to record that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. So are you going to, like, besides uh, the biggest week uh, up in Ohio, are you going to also do some warbler stuff around you? Yeah, I, yeah, that's what I've done the past couple of years um, since I have not gone up to big. been planning to go to biggest week since 2020, but just never, obviously pandemic, you know, halted that. And then last year I just never really got the time to, uh, time off to really get there, up there. And it, um, it also got canceled last year too, by the way. Oh, did it? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought it was open. I just, I couldn't remember if it was me, the reason, or if it was, yeah, pandemics, barring all that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, most years I just stay local and just trying to find the warblers here, or just any migratory birds. Um, but I mean, depending on that, I still in May, I mean, May is a great time. Of year. So, I mean, like I'll probably do some local, you know, birding excursions here, of course, too. Awesome. Yeah. Is there anything you're like, like what's your main warbler? I'm just curious real quick. Like what's your, the main like one? Ch- my chase bird. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, probably Blackburnian, if I'm being honest. Ooh, wow. Because I still have not, there's uh, the local Clifton Gorge is like probably the best place, I think, in my county to really go see it. Uh, but I've right. never, I've not seen one and I'm just eager to see that fiery looking throat that yeah. they have. Um, I think one time at last year, I think I swore off that I heard the call, but like I'm my confidence and auditory ID is not very good. So like, I just was like brushing it off as nothing else. Or something else that is. <laughs> awesome. But, but uh, probably Blackburnian, but I, I'm happy with anything and getting mm-hmm. photos of them at all. That's that's the goal. Yeah. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be picky. For me, it's prothonotary just because the amount of swamp that's around me. So. Yeah, I mean, if you have any like trivers, tri- words. If you have any like rivers around you or any like bodies oh, yeah. of water, just like go like hike any tree lines or anything like surrounding or around those. Um, and you're bound to see them. I've seen a few close-ups, and they're they're gorgeous, man. They're gorgeous. Mm-hmm. For sure. And uh, 
I think they're one of the, I think they're the only cavity nesting warbler in Ohio or something like that year round. Yeah. I, mean, I, or I don't know of others that really cavity nests. So. Yeah. So they're, they're a special one for us, but um, yeah, yep. man, they're, they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I've also, I've got a secret, of course I can't say, but I've got a, a secret wood duck spot too. I found last year. I'm gonna hit this year again, of course. So that's that's awesome. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was I was bummed that uh, I went a few days ago. I have like a great horned owl spot that I stake out, and I go there like literally every like the end of January. It's guaranteed you're gonna see this owl. But like I tried going the other day, and it was like the boardwalk and everything was closed. And I was like, Bummer, because it was a gorgeous golden hour sunset, like uh, a little bit of snow on the ground. I mean, like, and no one else was there because it's closed. And I'm like, Wait, what? Like, why is it? I guess for repairs or something. But, and like, there's like this muddy loop trail that goes around this, it's a fen type of wetland and like just everything was closed. And I was like, so bummed out. So I'm hoping I can go hopefully in the next month or two. Cause you know, the clock is ticking as they kind of like nest and everything mm-hmm. and, and raise the outlings. Awesome. Yeah. But, well, good luck with that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you too. <laughs> yeah. It's good to have this like secret spots. Oh yeah. Really nice. Yeah. Yep. I think it's funny how we talk about birds for like our updates, but now we're talking about <laughs> landscapes for the uh-huh. episode. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think also this time of year, it's hard to get intimate landscapes in general too. Really? Uh, well, when you don't have snow, like if it's just kind of uh, plain, you know. I will agree. Um, yep. Yeah, let's just get into it, shall we? Yeah. So first of all, we should probably define at least what we consider intimate landscapes. So you want to cover that? Yeah, so um, I actually looked up the definition of intimate, not to be all politically correct, but um, <laughs> there's many different definitions because you could be like, I mean, relationships or just other other definitions. But the one I found like that best fit, photography speaking, uh, at least in a sense, is that it's uh, marked by a very close association, contact, or familiarity, which I feel like kind of answers in a little bit, where it's just like close association or contact, as in like, you feel like you're almost like pulled into a scene um, and, and, you know, in contrast to like a larger than life mountain range or a, like a big grandiose sunset, like you just feel like it's a much more like I, I describe intimate landscapes as like emo- like emotions of like calm, quiet, meditative. Like it just kind of has a much more calmer sense to it. Like if that makes sense, like just the mm-hmm. way you almost like feel, I guess, like looking at the image or whatever it may be, um, but like intimate just more feels more close to you in association or context. I don't know. I don't know how to say it really. How would you say it? Yeah, I, I think I definitely agree. I think there's usually like one main subject. Um, and I kind of associate texture with intimate landscapes as well. Mm, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think it's a very broad term, maybe a bit overused, honestly, but like, I think um, it's, you know, you could definitely tell when something's like an intimate landscape. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it feels like a direct, uh, like almost like reaction to the bigger, wider, wider angle landscapes that like maybe a lot of people are used to. Because not every photographer, landscape photographer, like takes those kind of shots. But some, that's like, that's like basically their whole portfolio too. So, mm. yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I am, I almost don't consider intimate like landscape photography. Honestly, I consider it more almost macro. Well not really macro, but just kind of nature, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things where I feel like it's almost better to like define a small scene or something. I think I've heard that some photographers use that. They call themselves like a small scene photographer. 
which I feel like it actually directly like defines the term itself better than the intimate landscape. Mm-hmm. Like intimate landscape almost sounds like a snobbish thing you say. Like, yeah, my my landscapes are more intimate. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Hol- uh-huh. Holier than thou, I guess. Yep. But. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely kind of moving away from that larger scene, but I think like small scene, even as a word too, can be a bit confusing because sometimes an intimate landscape can be a, you know, a mountain, but you just zoom in on the peak of the mountain with like two trees or something. So it's not always, always like a direct small scene, like a leaf on the ground, but sometimes it can be like those far away details. Right. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like the best composition, like to define it, maybe is like the top-down perspective, because I feel like that really is what like a lot of the small scene photographers go for. Um, mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah, for sure. With like uh, in fall, it's popular if you have like one different colored leaf, or oh, yeah. uh, you know, like sands, like having a leading line to like a, a subject, and you know, there's so many possibilities with that top-down. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned about winter being kind of like difficult, especially without snow. But I remember, I think it was about three years ago now, uh, I took some like sand texture shots for like a, almost half a morning uh, because there's all this like cracked mud and everything next to like a local lake. And I was just like having a ball with it. You know, I had like, I think I had 50 millimeter or wide angle lens um, pointed top down on a tripod and just like shooting just all these different like textures and everything, all these cracked parts in the, the dirt and mud. It, it was really, really cool to see that. Yeah, it's that kind of landscape is awesome. Um, I had a lot of uh, photographer friends. I know, I think maybe David was there. Uh, a bunch of people were going to Death Valley. Um, and, you know, I was seeing a lot of those mud shots. Um, and just kind of, it's interesting how the trends have moved a lot more towards the intimate landscapes. You think it's, I have to bring it up, but do you think it's like because of social media maybe that people, photographers are kind of gravitating towards the style of photography? I, I think that's that's a big part of it for sure. But I, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing really. Um, I think another reason too is just the, the wide angles are overshot. I mean, they're everywhere. Yeah. That's a big problem bird photographers are having too. Like the, the standard portrait is getting, you know, kind of um, bored as well. Because, you know, with digital so many people uh, have cameras and it's, you know, it's fairly easy to get these shots and you have to get more creative now in pretty much all fields in nature photography to get the unique shots. Yeah. It just seems more like refreshing in a sense too. Once again, it's just kind of like my opinion, I guess on it, but like, it just feels more refreshing to see those closer shots, I guess, of landscapes than just the wider angle. Cause like a lot of people are taking those definitely. Mm-hmm. And I think it's more accessible to intimate landscapes. Like it requires, like you don't have to set up a tripod necessarily. You don't have to have all these complicated, you know, graduated filters and it filters in general, you know, it's just kind of more, you know, take a walk in the woods and, you know, look for interesting details, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And it, I feel like it really does open your eye to, to like what's really out there. Cause it, you know, when you're really doing the whole landscape, it, it could be a nice shot. Sure. But like, do, how often do you really pick apart these different details? Um, like using like a, like a telephoto zoom lens, you know, you can really pull apart different sections or whatever. Um, I, th- I think I remember actually in, uh, I think Art Wolf's like TV series. Uh, what was it called? You ever watched that show? I did not know. Okay. Okay. He had like a made for TV, uh, uh, show it's gonna bug me if I don't look it up um, but basically I remember one uh, travels to the edge that's what it was uh, great great series by the way um, but 
Art actually talked about one episode, if I recall, he's taking some like landscape shots um, on like another continent, I believe. And he's like looking over this, you know, grand vista of this like valley and this mountain range. And he's had a telephoto lens instead of taking the traditional, you know, like wide angle shot. He actually like basically was describing to the viewer, like, hey, I'm going to zoom in on here. And he sees these landscapes that are big. But in his like through his eyes, he's like picking apart six different images that he could focus on. And so like in this episode, he's like, you know, taking a shot here, there, you know, just kind of like going, breaking down basically the bigger picture, so to speak. And uh, that, that was really like kind of like opened my eyes to like the sense of like, maybe we can really dial in on certain parts of the scene instead of just taking this single big image from there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he was kind of one of the first people to do that too, so... Uh, yeah, he, he very well could have been. I I don't know, but yeah. I, I would believe it, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just remember, like, when I went to uh, the Smoky Mountains area in the fall, like, it was just great to kind of zoom in on these, you know, fall trees with the, the sky above, and it's very creative. I feel more creative doing that than a, a giant wide angle. Not that there's not, you know, a value in that, but it's just not, it's not as fun for me, at least. Yeah, I, th- I think it's important to drive that point home of like, don't force like the the setting or environment you're in to like just do intimate landscapes. Like some mm-hmm. days are you know maybe a beautiful sunset, and I'm like out in this prairie or something, and like I I just need to do this wider angle or something like a fifty thirty five millimeter sixteen millimeter. Like just go ahead and take the shot. Like don't feel bad for doing that. But if you're finding yourself you know really caught up in a rut of like whether you're conscious of it or not, of taking those bigger shots. Like maybe it's a good time to really like reevaluate and like switch up your photography, I guess, style, you know, when out the field. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. And like you said, like, of course, if there's a magical scene in front of you, don't be afraid to take the wide angle. Like, you know, sometimes the, the long lens or the intimate scenes just doesn't work. So you know, don't, don't limit yourself at all in any direction. I think that's definitely a good point. Is there any like inspirations do you think, or like, what would you say, you know, we mentioned art, but like, what other like names do you think are really evident of like the style of photography? Um, so you mean like famous photographers in there? Yeah. Or ones you follow both. Um, so I know we've, we've raved about him a lot. Um, and you put him down, but I was, I was also going to put him as well. Uh, Elliot Porter, you know, super, actually he was probably before Art Wolf. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah, super ahead of our time. <laughs> uh-huh. I think he's been dead for quite a while too. Um, he does. He did like really great fall scenes. Um, you know, kind of the the mid range scenes, and then all the way to the tiny details. Just super great photographer. Um, uh, David Johnston. Um, you know, he. It's interesting. I've. It's. It's been cool to watch. He's kind of shifted to intimate landscapes. I don't know if you've noticed. Yeah, it's I, I really like his work. Uh, I always did, but like I think he's really has a great eye for the intimate side of landscape. Uh, I also put Alistair Ben on there. Uh, I really like his channel, Expressive Photography, uh, on YouTube. Uh, I I've been doing less landscapes, but like I still watch his videos consistently. Um, he talks about the emotion in the landscape, and he very very rarely shoots a wide angle. Um, he's always kind of in cause he said he's just, you know, he's gotten all the shots that he wants to get that are wide. So he's, he's kind of permanently focusing on these smaller scenes. 
Yeah, and also tack on the Alistair's uh, point of like, I think he came from doing wildlife and bird photography. So maybe that's why he's more accustomed to the telephoto focal length too. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, yeah I know. It like surprised me too. I'm like, really? Like, uh-huh. I was not, I was not expecting that from him, but I, I think he did come many, many years of doing like bird photography. Yeah, I would look that up. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. And it looks like Elliot Porter, he was born in 1901 and passed away in 1990. So, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I would say Elliot's probably the pioneer of this genre. Yeah. As far as I know, he seems like he would be. Uh, but so, yeah, he great. may have been shooting the same time as Ansel, kind of. He was, yeah. I think yeah, Ansel wow. I think Ansel was born a little bit before him, maybe. I could be wrong, but um, definitely, I think they're actually friends, if I recall. Wow. Um, I've, I've, read enough, I've read enough of like the photo books from Ansel that, like, I think his name was mentioned actually. At least they knew each other somehow or some way, but, um, I also would tack on, uh, William Neal. He's, he does incredible landscape photography. He's, he's also one of the greats that's been doing this, you know, nature photography for decades, really. Um, and I'm always, you know, pining for a shot, not to copy his style, but he really pioneers the use of like the static in motion, like, or excuse me, long exposure of water. And then there's like some tree branches or some leaves in front. And he's focused on that. They're still, but the water's moving long exposure. Mm. You ever seen that kind of shot? You probably seen yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I love yeah, like, that shot. Those kind of shots are great. He's got he's got so many in his portfolio. It's ridiculous. And like, I'm still to this day trying to nail that down with the slightest like breeze to like knock you know the leaves around while it's getting a multi second exposure. But like, but anyway, sorry. <laughs> uh, he's just he's just a great talented photographer. I'm, I'm really I, every time I look at an image from him, I'm just like. Like, yes, I just feel just like so inspired by it. Like, it's so like creative how he does things with composition and light. That's mm-hmm. like, once again, it's just very, very refreshing, too. Um, yeah, I'm well, looking at this page right now. I, I definitely see that. It's amazing. Yeah. And it's neat that now I'm thinking about it while we're talking about this is like, it seems, I don't want to say it's more creative, but I feel like there's a more uh, hot take, but I feel like it's more artistic with the way these photographers and more the other ones like approach their work in a way. Like, I don't know, maybe it's just my, yeah, I think it's, it's definitely a personal thing, but I definitely agree with you there. Like, uh like it's almost like more thought out. I don't Mm -hmm. know if that's the right way of saying it, but like, and once again, I'm not dissing people that don't take these kind of shots, but it's just like, there's something different. You can tell they put some, there's a different way of them seeing the world. That's like, it's just, I don't know. It's different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think some people, maybe non-photographers, might appreciate the wider scenes more uh, just because of that location base. But I think kind of the more artist types uh, are probably more drawn to those smaller scenes. Right, yeah, that's for sure. Um, I've noticed lately, because I rebought my 16-35 F4 uh, Canon lens, and I've been like using that religiously. And it's like been hard to like really take it off my DSLR and be like, man, I need to start doing some more intimate stuff again. Cause I'm just, I'm like a sucker for that wider angle now. Uh, so, well, I mean, you could do intimate landscapes, um, with a wide angle. I mean, that's, that's good to mention, like, you know, wide angles. I know the 1635 has close focus. Like you can, you can get pretty close up. Um, and it, you know, if you shoot like eye level down with like what you're trying to shoot, um, more like a, a sideways perspective rather than top down, uh, you can get some really unique stuff. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I guess I'll, 
add on to it is like I do use the 35 um, to like to my fullest ability. I think I do use it a lot with images because it does kind of just pull you in a little bit more than like the the 16 mil would. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean even the 16 too. Like if you get close enough, you know, you could still make it intimate. I guess so. <laughs> Make the yeah, it's like making the shots more intimate, I guess, in a way. <laughs> Make it how you want it to be. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think definitely long lenses are kind of your your best bet. Like if you're trying to if you're starting out and you, I don't know, just got a camera, I'd suggest the long lens first. But you know, wide angle could still be useful. Um, but I think like what you said, you know, like thirty five to probably eighty five is probably better than the widest of angles. Yeah, that, that's a good way to really approach the style of imagery too. So mm-hmm. um, I know we talked a little bit about it, but like how many shots have you done like from a top-down perspective? Is it like something that you've done a lot of? Um, uh, I don't think I've done a lot of like top-down. Um, my favorite one, and this will be in the slideshow, uh, I took it, I'll probably, I want to post this. I'll probably post this again on my Instagram soon just because of how much I like it. Um you've been to this, uh, my grandparents' farm. There's that pond, if you remember. Um, last year, it froze in the winter, um, and I just walked around looking for ice textures. And I found this one, um, like, texture in the ice that looked like a tree, like, with all the branches and everything. Uh, it was really cool. So I, I photographed that pretty much top-down. Like, I wasn't on the ice, but it was right on the shore, so I could shoot down on my tripod. Um, that was a very good use of top down there and definitely my favorite example. You, you know, what's funny is I think I have a shot, an image in the slideshow too. That's similar. It was a frozen pond at a local park and it has like, does it kind of look like veins? Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I have like the same shot. Man. <laughs> awesome. I'll put it right next to each other in the slideshow. Uh-huh. Okay. To compare it. Yeah. But I, it wasn't, it wasn't at your, uh, at your parents' place, your grandparents' place, but, okay. <laughs> but it does have that. It does. Like, I was like, wait a second. That's not like the shot I was looking at. <laughs> funny awesome. uh, yeah. and, and a, with ice cl- too in general like all my ice shots are pretty much top down because it's fun man I mean like uh-huh. when you really get like that transparent look to them and like oh man I, like get like a cast of glow of like sunrise light on them like mm-hmm. if you if zoom in a little bit but even like real close you know, like a macro like perspective it just like blows up these weird textures and patterns and like it's, it's awesome what you can really do with this man yeah, I mean, that's I talked about with you a bit before the show started. Like, I'm getting an ice storm tomorrow. I'm su- super excited to do those top-down shots. Um, you know, other perspectives too, but, you know, that intimate landscape. I won't be able to go anywhere because of the ice, but, you know, since it's kind of, you know, small scene, you know, I could just go in my backyard. Uh, it's not a big backyard, but we've got plenty of plants and stuff, so kind of look for those details with the ice, so... Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great point too. Is like you don't have to, and I've driven this point home. I think we've talked about it in the episode too, or excuse me, on the podcast. But like, um, maybe our backyards episode we had a while back. But like, you don't need to go far to make these shots, which I feel like that's the beauty of it. Um, actually, I think recently David Johnson posted a video uh, about how he's like at this like public park. There's like a busy road, like a state route right next to him, and he's like, there's like a few stands of trees. And he's photographing stuff on like the woodland floor, just like right there in the middle of all that, you know, calamity and stuff. Like you don't need to go far, travel far away to make these kind of images too. Yeah, for sure. Like it's, it's very approachable. Um, You know, you do, you can't just go in your backyard and like randomly snap pictures. Like it still takes thought, I think. Oh yeah, Um, definitely. 
but you know you you want to like you know wait for the the right light like if you if you want to maybe for example show all of the details in your frame you know maybe a cloudy day would be good but if you want you know to highlight like a specific subject try to like wait for early morning light or um, evening light and have that little beam on your subject like it just it kind of depends on what you're trying to show too i think yeah that's a great point too is um it does really almost like unlock your creativity because i feel like it does get too easy sometimes to like take the big view in front of you and just capture as one image but does get really chaotic and if you're not really like using some forethought of like you know leading lines or like some kind of compositional technique to make it much more appealing to look at as a viewer then like it's not really that strong of an image probably either um, but mm -hmm. like, but doing those more intimate scenes, it almost like, like I mentioned earlier, it's very kind of like calm and stuff, but like it really simplifies your compositions overall, or at least it can. And it makes you really, you know, hunker down and focus on just one or two elements at most, you know, in a particular frame. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, it's, I, I definitely agree with that. Like it's, you just really have to kind of look at the scene too and just kind of evaluate yeah, just simplifying. I think that's really like the best way to describe it too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so kind of like when you're going out, maybe you're just doing landscape photography on a shoot. Do you look for the intimate landscape? Because if, if I'm being honest, I don't personally. I haven't like trained my eye to that yet. Um, yeah, I, I try to. I'm not going to say I'm perfect about it. Like I definitely been a lot of shoots. I'm trying to call back recently. Um, I've been doing more wildlife as we talked about in the beginning of the episode, but like, yeah, whenever I do shoot landscapes, some, it depends on different variables, I guess, like the weather, the lighting, maybe just my, I guess, mood will say of like what I want to particularly shoot that day. Um, all those things kind of factor in and more, of course, but um, it's something that I'm definitely always eyeing um, at least, you know, or even just taking a variety of shots where I do the 16 millimeter focal length, but then I also dial it back to, Something that's much more, you know, telephoto, I guess. And it just depends, though. Depends on the day, I guess. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's kind of the same for me. Like, uh, I I don't. I need to get better. Uh, but sometimes I do intentionally go out. Like you know, like I said, tomorrow I w I will kind of intentionally do that. But that's really based on weather. So. Right. Yeah, but that, I think like this is going to be a great opportunity where you can. Um, like you can't really travel necessarily because of all this snow and ice. So like might as well just try your backyard and see what happens too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I remember in 2019, I, I took my first visit to Charleston Falls. It's probably one of the most water, most popular waterfalls in Ohio. Um, I think probably one of the more well-known ones. And uh, it was like a June day. And it was like pouring rain. So like no one was really there. It's a pretty popular park most of the time. Um, and I was there early in the morning and it's raining and everything. And I'm taking all these shots, getting all this mist and stuff and the wind and the rain and all that stuff kicking the water onto my camera and trying to keep like the, the front lens element and the filter dry. And I'm taking like, I've, I kind of like break down shots in landscapes by like, if it's like a well-known waterfall, I'll take the postcard shots. But then I also get creative as I, you know, examine the subject and all that stuff more. And I started zooming in some more and getting these like, I don't want to say abstract shots, but like stuff that was much more tighter cropped. And like, honestly, those are probably some of my favorites I took from like that session. And uh, people later on are like really surprised because they think it looks like something that's like coastal, like near like an ocean or something. But then I tell them it's like, no, it's just the base of a waterfall in Ohio. And they're like, what? 
you know, they're like really surprised by it, but I feel like it does kind of like almost like trick you a little bit to like rethink about how you like view landscapes in general too with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you, um, kind of going off of what you said, like if you look at the comments of, uh, like big landscape photographers who do the intimate landscapes, there's many, many questions. I, when I was doing research, I, I looked at all these, there's many questions like, where is this? What is this? Like, how do I get this shot? Like, it's kind of mysterious, you know, it's, you could find these really crazy details and just zoom in and really accentuate them. Yeah, the, the where is this is interesting, but like I would say is what's more fascinating is the what is this? Because, mm -hmm. you know, there's a, there's a couple shots where it's like, you just don't even know, like, is this like nature? I mean, like, like what exactly am I looking at? But like, it somehow probably like fascinates you to really look at it and really almost like, you're almost like curious, I guess, to like what you're really viewing. And, you know, that's why it begs the question. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think that's, yeah, that's a lot of the draw, too. Definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So do you take, like, a lot of macro shots, or have you? I, I've i been so, like, head over heels with wildlife, it's been hard, but <laughs> um, I, I do in spring in a lot. Yeah, in spring a lot. Last spring I did. Um, mostly backyard stuff, just because we, we have a nice garden, and, you know, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of how I could fit the macro in, you know, have the big kind of wildlife outings and then, you know, do the macro in my kind of free time. Um, but I, I do really enjoy it. I think it's it's very fun. Um, I think I it's probably my second favorite um, at this point. Well, I don't know. Landscape's probably higher, but I hold them all in high regard for sure. <laughs> like choosing favorite children, too. <laughs> do you find it like do you find that doing these kind of shots? um like helps slow you down at all to really like think about stuff like composition and all that. I need to get better with macro. Um, I think with intimate landscapes, yes. But like if you're looking at like more of those macro detail shots, I can focus too much on the subject and not like the light um, and, you know, kind of the, the other, like the backgrounds. Like I can, I usually get really messy uh, backgrounds on macro. I know I can, you know, improve those because, you know, uh, with my wildlife and, you know, landscapes, I've been working on doing that. Uh, but I just need to apply it to those more detail shots because uh, I know you can. Like, I want to try, you know, like backlit macro stuff and super blurry background and you know, just all that kind of stuff. Right. What, what exactly about the, the shots is messy? Is it just like digital noise or like what's actually in the frame? So I, I'm not really concerned about digital noise. You know, it's never been like a thing for me that I think ruins images, um, you know, unless it's super high, far up. Um, I think it's really just like, say there's some mulch in your backgrounds, like, you know, instead of getting that, you know, straight on perspective, you know, you're pointing down and you get that mulch behind the flower. And since it's super close, you see that mulch. Because, um, you know, obviously for macro images, you generally have to use a pretty high aperture to get at least some level of focus. Um, so you, you do have to watch those backgrounds. There's been a few times I had to like almost, we'll say clean up like the image, especially if it is like a, like a wildflower or something. And I have to like move these little twigs because it's like casting a glare or something. That's like, you can see in the image from like bouquet or just plainly see it as it is. And uh, mm -hmm. you have to like, you know, what will be like respectful, of course, not like picking stuff as much as you can or might want to, but like just trying to like clean up the image that way, remove distractions and 
you know, it gives you less to really like clone out in post-production too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think too, with like what I mentioned with light, I think it's very interesting for macro. I know kind of a rule for macro photographers sometimes is like always shoot on the cloudy day, but I think, you know, that, that can, that doesn't always apply. Like you can get some really unique light on your flowers or your insects and, you know, it could be very, very interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think the cool part about this, like, subgenre, I guess, is, like, it's not exempt from any type of light or weather or anything. Like, you can do this effectively anytime, like, almost like any other photography in a way. Um, and that, that's a great part, I think, because it really does unlock your creativity. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like it's good to really challenge yourself to shoot in harsh conditions or, like, lighting situations that you might not otherwise, really, too, because you may be surprised by them. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, uh, kind of talking about gear a bit, like, I don't want to get into specific brands, but what is your intimate landscape setup? Like, um, just like focal length and gear you use for that. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm, I might generalize it, generalize it a little bit, but like, it's basically the same gear I always use for like a lot of my landscapes really. Um, but you know, I always shoot with, the um, few exceptions at least, but I, I do like the top-down perspectives with a tripod just because it's like much more stable. Um, you know, a remote trigger can help, um, or you could just use like a two-second camera um, as long as it's like tightly bolted down to your, your tripod head or whatever you use for stability. Um, and just basically using those, um, I'm not really sure. There's not much specialized gear, which I feel like is the beauty of this thing is like you don't need anything really specialized you know you can almost just basically use the same lenses or whatever you know pieces in your kit that you normally would use too yeah for sure um it's it's kind of you know different for everyone i'm sure um but it, it that sounds like a great kit definitely um for me it's really just um i have a macro lens right now but i'm just borrowing it um so it's uh, my general setup is just my 100 to 500. You know, it's got close focusing. I can, you know, go 100, go 500. Um, and a tripod, too, kind of like you. Because uh, I like to do that composition. Um, if it's kind of, you know, more of a spontaneous, like, in intimate landscape shoot, I won't do tripod. Like, I'll do more handheld stuff. But, like, if I have a shot in mind, I'll definitely have that tripod. Yeah, for sure. I think we talked about it on a previous episode or I've kind of like explained my reasoning with that. It's, I just find the tripod helps slow me down a lot more. Um, not always the case, but it, I feel like it does like shooting handheld for me just gets so rushed. Um, and I try not to do that. Of course, <laughs> I just feel like it helps a lot more. Oh yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Is there any like subjects in particular that you like wouldn't look after? Or is it just more like textures and stuff? Like look for or like, yeah, like, that, yeah, like, um, is there is there anything that you like really seek out, like like a like a solitary leaf or like? I yeah. I want to do this is kind of a, a lofty goal, but I want to do a bird intimate landscape. Oh, it, okay, it sounds weird, but like I want to try like the top down. I don't know how I'd do this ethically. I, I'm still trying to figure out what I would do, but like an approachable bird, I'd like to do. Maybe a shorebird, like a super approachable one. I'd like to do like a top down of them on the sand or something. Yeah. 
Yeah, ethically, of course. Like, I, mm. I, one of my thoughts was just using a drone and then, like, uh, oh, no, 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 I wouldn't do that. I'm just saying, like, quick little, oh, oh you yeah. just use a drone. And I was like, uh-huh. no, Ryan, don't do that. <laughs> That's terrible. Uh-huh. Uh, don't become an influencer on me. <laughs> oh, oh, gosh, no, man. I, uh-huh. I, know, I've been, I know I've been really uh, hyping up. No, I would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's funny you say that because uh, I have a big wall now in my new, like, I guess, office, living house, office space, I guess, whatever, but like words. Um, but I do have like some like shots of like people's photos and stuff. And there's a, it's a photography print. It's a little like five by seven and it's a top down. Uh, I think it's a starling, but like you only see like the black body of it. It's head and beak. And it's like the beak's pointed up in the frame and it's just like a top down view. Um, I don't know if that's taxidermist or if it was like just straight luck, like you're on like a high rise and you just look down, there's a starling. I don't know how, but or how they took the shot that is. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it's definitely doable and ethically, of course, mm-hmm. just takes a matter of being on the right level, I guess. Um, yeah. Maybe in like a busy city or something, <laughs> you know, go on the balcony and there's a sparrow behind or down below. I don't know. Yeah, I think it could be a great way to showcase habitat, too. Like, I don't know, I'm thinking, like, I could, like, I climb trees for photos. I've mentioned this a couple times. <laughs> I could climb a tree. I, I have a sandhill crane spot in Michigan. I could climb a tree and get the sandhill cranes in their grasses. And by being up in that tree, I'd be, you know, not bothering them, hopefully. Uh, you know, something like that. You know, super creative. Like, I, I haven't seen a lot either, so. Yeah, it's almost like you're taking a page out of like Where's Waldo or something with that. At least uh-huh. I'm, I'm imagining it. But yeah, that, that's really neat. That's definitely definitely different. I haven't heard of anyone quite doing something. Like that. Both the climbing the trees for photos and the sand hill part. Mm-hmm. Say there's you know like one green leaf uh, lingering um, in like a sea of red leaves, like something like that. Uh, I really like those kind of shots. Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, I was just thinking in my head of like different seasons or with the different seasons of like what you would shoot and like, yeah, definitely in winter, man, you would get like the ice, you get maybe some snow stuff. Um, I'm going to have one such image in the slideshow of like some melted ice and it forms this kind of like jagged shape around this like solid tan. It's almost like a bright orange rock. Um, it's really cool to see it. And it's just like melted away and just reveals it in like the center of the frame. And it's, it's something that's very unique. I think um, it lends itself well to this, you know, genre. Mm-hmm. yeah it's just uh it's a you know great kind of season for that i think and uh just super unique as well and then in like fall like you said leaves it's probably the perfect time honestly because you can pull apart different unique leaf structures or different colors and just make the images just really come to life with all this mm-hmm. brimming with color and everything that you know you yep. wouldn't get otherwise with the, with the uh the rest of the year that it is mm-hmm. And I think summer, um, if you're kind of like an intimate landscape photographer, uh, I think summer could be a good season for those water shots. Um, we're just kind mm. of zoomed in on the water. I know you've done quite a bit of this. Uh, you, maybe getting the reflection of those green leaves or um, you know, getting those nice uh, flows of water. Um, I think that's probably the best season for that as well. Yeah, I can't believe I haven't mentioned it yet, but like reflections are probably like one of my favorite things to shoot just like anything mm-hmm. almost. And like a def- definitely if it's like some, like a trying to think, there's like a big chunk of like driftwood or something and it's a nice calm, like windless day. 
I just, I can't get over those. Like I like to center them with the horizon by horizon. I mean like the, the center point where it, you know, meets with reflection to the actual piece and like get that center in the frame and just get that reflection just perfectly symmetric. Um, or like even like reeds, like grasses and like some water, getting those all just reflected stuff. Um, you know, just even like a twig in the water. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm all over these weird like designs you get that you wouldn't see otherwise with your eye and like how they look as a reflection too. Um, it's, it's just really fun stuff. I feel like just to do all these kind of shots. Oh yeah, definitely. There's, there's so much potential. Um, I, you've done a great job with those water shots. I just don't like see them when I'm out shooting. Like, like I never have the ambition to like zoom in on that, you know, tight water. So uh, great job on those for sure. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. It's, it's just a matter of just experience. And I think training your eye to really, you know, I guess see the shots and it, maybe it's just, maybe you're not, I don't, I don't know. Maybe you're not drawing them, maybe taking them, seeing them, but like, or the other way around, I'm not sure. But if you want to take more, man, I would just say like, read up on, you know, the, the greats like LA Porter and stuff and really just see what they make. And you may, it may inspire you and help you see in that kind of way too, maybe. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Ansel did a lot of that stuff too, like on the, the Merced river, um, in Yosemite, you know, it's kind of his less liked shots, but, um, I think there's a lot to learn from those for sure. Yeah. Maybe not less liked, but like definitely less appreciated. Like mm. just, cause I, I feel like people don't really, you know, you think of Ansel Adams and he, you know, I don't know, Yellowstone, like the big mountains and stuff in black and white film. But, like, he did a lot of, yeah, like, ferns and stuff out on the, the forest floor and, like, just all this kind of, like, lower canopy stuff in the woodland. And yeah, it's just stuff that's awesome to see. And it really shows, like, and it wasn't always just the big and grandiose. Like, he definitely liked the smaller and quieter stuff, too. Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. And it's worth mentioning, too, is, like, I you know, I feel like it's great to do some telephone like it does feel like a larger scene, but you definitely are like cropping in to have like a much more abstracted shot. Like I've done quite a few of these where it's like just all these elongated tree trunks and it just has this pattern and texture to it. But like, if it's fall, you might get some like yellow and some green and maybe even some orange patterned in there. Um, and it's just something that feels a little bit more different from your typical, here's the wide angle shot. Like it just mm -hmm. feels more cropped in where you just get, jagged you know or not jagged these straight lines going up and down of course and there's just all mm -hmm. these leaves of color and, you know just all over the image yeah and when, when you have a wide angle like that element might be in the scene but it's just so small like i don't think people realize how like even like 24 millimeters like how wide that is like you know even you know with like a 500 millimeter lens like you you don't even get all the details like it's you know there's so many elements in nature, so you just got to kind of isolate them, I think. Yeah, it's definitely worth mentioning. Um, like we did on like our focal length episode is like the wider a lens is, the more it's going to provide that depth of like all around you. And it's going to show, of course, encompass more in the frame, but the telephoto perspective really pulls you in. It compresses the distance. Um, so it's like the shot that you take at 16 millimeters and then switch lens you know, the camera that is and putting on like a 70 to 200 and zooming in at 200, it's going to be a very different shot. It's going to be very drastic, of course, 
Mm-hmm. Um, but it really, I think, shows like an example of like, okay, this is how it, this plays on the landscape versus this kind of lens choice or focal length. Um, and it, it's good to know that like the the differences, I guess, between the two. You know, it may be obvious, but like I feel like it's worth seeing, looking twice at the same scene and seeing that difference too. Oh yeah, um, you know, you can get completely different shots uh, with the telephoto, um, like. I know this is kind of maybe a bad habit, but like if I've already taken all the shots, you know, at the wide end, I'll, I'll go telephoto. Um, you know, sometimes it's like a second resort, but then, you know, like we've mentioned many times, I end up liking those images better. Um, you know, my favorite images from Yosemite, um, you know, which is just a, a landscape Mecca from last summer. Um, they're all those intimate images. The, the two that come to mind, um, you know, I was hiking up to this big waterfall uh, one of the most popular trails, uh, but my favorite shot from that hike, you know, I took the wide angle of the waterfall, like the main one. My favorite shot was a little waterfall on the way up that I took from a top-down perspective. Um, and then uh, another one of my favorite shots was just a, a burnt tree, um, you know, because that kind of represented Yosemite. There were a lot of fires at the time. Uh, a burnt tree uh, with a forest of full pine trees behind it. So, uh you know, it's, it was unique to me and it's uh, just something, you know, that would be hard for other people to capture. So. Yeah, that, that's awesome, man. I, I can definitely picture it all based off your description. Sounds really good. Yeah. Thank you. I remember that, um, is it at least four years ago or something now? It's been a while, but like, it was my, I think it's my first visit to a uh, uh, shout out to Glen Helen. It's probably, it's a great place here in Southwest Ohio. It's pretty well known too. Um, there's this, uh, waterfall that you can basically there's a bridge crossing like just right above it like feet above it and it's always roaring like most of the year um pretty good flow to it except now it's frozen winter of course but um it's typically called like the cascades because it flows down this uh, creek and it just meanders through the nature preserve um but the first time i was there i was walking across that and just hearing the you know sound of the water and stuff i had to look pure over the and i got my camera angled up on a tripod leaning over top basically a top-down oh. perspective of the oh. waterfall and it's a shot that i've come back to in summer i think i was when, when i go in there i think i've done it like almost i think two or three of the seasons and i do that like that same or similar kind of shot and it's just such a refreshing shot because it's not i've never quite seen anyone else take the same shot because you can go down um, on this lower trail and you know hike along this like almost like underneath this rock overhang and you get a straight on shot of it. And that's the, that like, how many times can I say shot? That's the image <laughs> yeah. that like, it's the image that like everyone, you know, just the dead on, like I'll call it the postcard shot. Cause it's mm-hmm. like just the typical view everyone sees. Right. But like this top down view is just I, like, it just feels more like refreshing. I don't know. It just feels so much different. And that's what I like about those. Kind of- and, um, you know, I recommend people to take them cause they're, they're, they're just a lot of fun to take, I think. And it helps mm-hmm. you think outside the box too. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and I think like, you know, somebody could take, go to that same waterfall and even do that top down perspective. But when you look at like a, an image, like if you're looking at your camera, the back screen, uh, when you're that zoomed in, like even a slight tripod movement to the left or right, it's a completely different shot. So oh, it's, yeah. it's much harder to recreate. Um, and you know, it's, you know, versus a wide angle, like if you move your tripod a bit, it's relatively the same shot. But like when you're the more zoomed in you are, those slight changes will make a big difference. 
Yeah, 100%. And uh, like you mentioned earlier about like keeps the, the viewer guessing. I feel like a, like a top-down shot of a waterfall really does keep the viewer going like, all right, I see there's water flowing there. It's kind of like a long exposure or there's some leaves around it. But like they, they you kind of like get in their head for a moment and be like, seeing with this and i feel like challenging the viewers like it's one of the main draws i have for photography like i feel like i'm succeeding is like how much can i challenge the viewer to see things in a different way and Mm -hmm. uh i feel like that's just like one such example of like you know most people are used to just an up down flow and it's you've taken the shot of the you know the waterfall and that's it it's all good but it's almost like too easy in a way so like but if you're gonna shot of it top down and you're seeing this flow just kind of lurch out at you fall down in the frame it just it feels much more i don't know like immediate dramatic and it's it keeps the viewer i think hopefully at least kind of like looking at it and sitting with the image more and being like what all right i kind of get what's going on here but like it's kind of weird at the same time i don't know how to feel about it but they might like they might like it more even you know yeah it just depends yeah that's a great point for sure Mm -hmm. yeah so I, i guess the main takeaway or i'll ask this question is Maybe why do you think a landscape or outdoor photographer should take these kind of into? Hmm. So I think it's refreshing. Like if you're tired of, you know, the typical wide angle landscape photography, um, I think it's very powerful. Um, maybe it's your second trip to like a, a location, like a great landscape spot, you know, try that intimate landscape or even do it on your first time. But, you know, especially on the second time, you know, once you felt like, uh, you've gotten those perfect wide angle shots, uh, you know, kind of the documentary, like, you know, I was here, you know, shots, you know, you can focus on those more creative scenes. Um, and, you know, this happens, you know, all the time with, um, you know, like I mentioned, other types of photography too, you know, bird photography, macro. So, you know, why not do it with landscape as well? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to answer it. What about you? Um, I mean, I'd say in the age of like social media, people's phones that, you know, typically there's going to be a wider angle and like, it's almost become too easy or at least more of like a tired trope of like how people view the world in a sense in outdoors. And so like anyone can go up to a, you know, breathtaking scene. Gosh, I sound full of myself, but like anyone can go up to a scene and just like take an image with their phone and it's probably gonna look similar to a wider angle, say, but if you're taking like this isolated leaf on the woodland floor and you're like experimenting with like rule of thirds and focus stacking and like just the subject placement. And even though maybe like the time of day and the light, it's all going to look very unique, but at the same time, it's like, Oh, that image can almost in theory be taken anywhere. It could be from, you could be like the most popular national park or it could be in your backyard. And I, I just feel like the universal like grasp and feel of it is like really, like the main draw, I would say. And I feel like that's the best reason I could explain uh, explanation of like why people should take these images. It's just like they feel much more open to like interpretation, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I like that line, open to interpretation. Like everybody gets something different out of it. You know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, with a wide angle, you know, like say it's of uh, Niagara Falls or something, everybody's like, oh, that's Niagara Falls. But you know, if you take your telephoto um, and get those details in Niagara Falls, it kind of relates to everyone. You know, if you like, you know, me, for example, like I could see a shot of the waterfall close up and I'd be like, oh, that reminds me of my waterfall here at home. You know, it can kind of relate to everyone, uh, but in their own unique way. 
Yeah, exactly. You're not taking, let's say, a shot of just Niagara Falls as a whole, but zooming into jagged rock, some mist, you know, going around it, and it's it's just something different. And I feel like it's more unique that way too. Oh yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great place to wrap it up there. Um, I think this has been a great episode. We've we've kind of like. Um, really do- dove in here. Um, it makes you want to do a lot more intimate landscapes. That's for sure. That's awesome, man. Yeah, me too. So, and I hope all our listeners do the same as well. And we'd love to see your shots too. So, mm-hmm. you know, feel free to tag us and share us yep. uh, with all of those too. And let us know too, like if you want us to have any intimate landscape photographers on, I think we should definitely, you know, maybe even have David on again, maybe talk about intimate landscapes, you know. Uh, maybe try to get Alistair Ben, some of those guys, because um, I think that could be really interesting. So, yeah, or even if you're do this such photography or anything, really. I mean, if you want to mm-hmm. be a guest, just message us, DM us, let us know. Yep. Mm-hmm. And right. uh, yeah, we've got some great episodes coming up. You know, great new guests, pretty big names. So uh, keep your eye out, and uh, thank you guys for listening. Yep. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you so much for watching the All Outdoors Photography Podcast. You can find us on Spotify. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the video version on YouTube as well. You can subscribe down below, and we look forward to seeing you in the next one. Thank you.